morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. Wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning, making up a little bit of time there, trying to get through it fast. Lawson, what are you thankful for? Oh, oh, you didn't even say Lyle and Lawson. Okay, what am I thankful for? Oh, did I tell you that I only have one point left on my license? Oh, you're thankful to have one point. Yes, <laughs> I am thankful to have one point. And honestly, Guard that point jealously. It's it slowed me down. Yes. I think it's a positive thing. I was driving to work today, and I was just like, you know what, like. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna chill out. I'm just gonna listen to, listen to my music. This is a very positive. Just, thing, Lawson. just drive around, you know. Like, how I, long before you get any more points? Um, so I got my full license in 2019, so it'll be next year, I think. Next year, you might get get some, get so my get my get some you've points gotta, back. You got to survive at but least a hey, year so on one point. When I went on to my green piece, like at the very start, I carried with me points like a fine from that i got on my red piece and literally the next day got my green piece so that it went on my green piece and then the next week i got like a, a speeding fine Oof. and so i had one point for like two years this is i i love the story of your life i love kind of living living this on life, the edge living on the edge i'm i'm kind of enjoying it i'm like well it's a good thing i went down to one point one time for 12 months yeah and it certainly improved my driving Doesn't dramatically. It, and then I got and then I got a speeding fine a week after I got my points back. The classic. Classic. And and I was still driving I was still driving super carefully. I just missed Yeah. A, a, a speed sign for about thirty seconds. You know, it's like when it goes from like a, a sixty to a fifty. Because that's like the majority of what I got done for was like less than ten K infringements from uh-huh. hidden mobile speed cameras. So Getting stitched up. That's that's yes. the reality of it. <laughs> uh, I just don't go to Victoria. That's where I got done. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Positively different news right across Australia. Well, right across the world. So we, um, I talked a couple of weeks ago about how like Walmart were going to step in and pay like all of its, you know, employees tuition to go to university. They had pumped like a billion dollars into a program that would allow them to do that. Um, now it seems like this has become a bit of a, a, a race for employment in the United States. Who has the best, um, university free free university program because target has stepped up and done the exact same thing they're now um investing 200 million dollars are these guys struggling to get employees or something i don't well you wouldn't think so right i i think the reality is for the companies this big is that they want the biggest monopoly that they can get and you can like once you're this big and you're making this much money i think the only thing restricting you is your reach like that you just you just need more and more people to work for you so that you can exist in more and more places. Like that's the goal at this point because they're making money. They're hugely successful companies. And so they just want to dominate the market. And they're like, okay, if we can get more employees on board and build more targets or Walmarts or whatever it be, because we promised them, you know, cheap or free tuition. Well, it seems like they're going to do it. So yeah, with target now, uh, $200 million is going into this program. Basically um, they've kind of, created a curriculum of like 250 different business aligned degrees. Um, so things that will help target essentially um, in 40 different schools. This is different to the Walmart one because Walmart kind of was a little bit more broad in what you could do, but there was like six different schools you could go to. 
Whereas this is 250 specific degrees um, in 40 different schools. It's not just degrees either. It's like high school level, like diploma stuff, um, business, you know, trade school stuff. Like there's a, a bunch of different things you can do. Um, and they're like, if you're doing a non-master's program, uh, you know, degree, something like that, uh, they'll offer 500, uh, f- sorry, 5,000 and five, 5,000, wait, Five two five zero. How do I say that? Five thousand two hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So, so five thousand two hundred and fifty dollars um, towards your uh, towards your t- tuition. If you're in a master's program, they'll give you ten thousand bucks and like a year annually. And uh, apparently, for them, this is this is gonna give them like if you do one of their programs, this will mean that you'll have a free college degree. It's very interesting. I wonder, I, I really do wonder at the motivation behind exactly, all of this. Dude, because I think for, like, so they're offering this to, to part-time and full-time workers. I wonder if there's some kind of contract that you have to sign or something, right? Because it's like, this is a serious amount of money to pump into into someone for them to just leave, which I, you know, which I would think is like the expectation if you're working at Walmart or Target. Of course, if you get up to upper management and you're earning good money, like then you wouldn't want to leave. I, I'm kind of wondering whether this is large corporations investing in social change. Mm. Ooh, that's a that's interesting a thought. thought. It is a thought. It is an interesting thought because there is nothing more powerful in education in the world mm-hmm. because of its power to create social change. And we know that the universities are creating, are actively and aggressively creating social change. Mm -hmm. Do we have big corporations pushing that? It sort of goes along with the story I was sharing yesterday where the uh, Texas government was trying to create protections for children uh, from, you know, uh, from from having their gender changed Mm. as children. And the big corporation stepping in and trying to boycott it and to force the Texas government from not passing that legislation. Mm. So we know that big corporations are actively campaigning for social change, and I, I just wonder. Yeah, I, I, my thought in this case as well is that if because the 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 debt problem the the education debt problem in America is massive. There's currently a one point seven trillion dollar student loan debt. Um, that exists. And if you have big corporations kind of making it possible for um, people to be able to go to uni debt free, which is such a big problem. Like in, in Australia, we have HEX, right? Or fee help or whatever it may be. And then you're in debt to the government. So you need to work and they take money, you know, from your tax and whatnot. And it's like, okay, if you've got big corporations stepping into the pl- the role of the government, yeah, where you're then in debt, debted to them or you've signed some contract that says like oh if you get your degree you're going to work for oh, them like then it, it traps people in their workforce right and then they grow their monopoly because it's like the only way that you can get college educated without going into debt is by going into one of these big government programs uh, sorry these big corporation programs um but if you go into the big corporation so it's a program, revival of indentured labor yes <laughs> Whoa, oh, we've cracked is, it over this, here this morning. This it's a revival. This it's a revival of indentured labor. It's 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 bringing it's bringing back slavery, but in a different form. Yeah. Well, because like you know, maybe Who people knows? have made. I, I'm, 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 we are having fun speculating here this morning. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Your opinion zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. We're just brainstorming it 
yeah, live on air and coming up with theories as to what's behind this. What is behind this? Well, you got to follow the money. Who wins? Yeah. Well, I'll, I guess we'll see in the future. You know, if if Domino's start bringing out um, a degree program, if yeah. Mac start bringing out a degree program, like we'll we'll see what happens here. If, if all these big somebody, corporations, somebody, somewhere there is a return on investment. Yes, that's the biggest point. Like, they can't just lose money. There is no way that Walmart and Target have a conscience. Yes. Like, they're interested in money mm-hmm. and they're interested in making money for their shareholders. Mm-hmm. And they have a business plan here. They would have to. Like, it, it's, well, it's a similar thing. We see mm. a similar thing with the US Army, right? Yes. So, like, people, people make the case that, like, the, you know, the US Army, target poorer people um, like and invest a lot into them to give them a career that they couldn't have outside of that. Yes. Like, you know, those who can't afford to go to college, go into the army to, to live the American dream, right? So that they can have their house and their white picket fence because if they weren't doing that, then where would they be? You know, in casual employment and, you know, basically not making money. Um, but that's the thing. They call those who enter the U.S. Army, particularly if you become like a Navy SEAL or something, they call you the million-dollar man because they invest so much in training. Yes. But that's because they want to see a return on your investment. That's right. Like, they, they're like... If they've invested a million dollars into you, then they're going to send you some really dangerous, dodgy places to do some really yeah. dangerous, dodgy things. And and that's the thing. You can't go any other way about it. Like, you can't just leave and be like, oh, no, okay, no, no. I've, I've done my training. I'm going to sit on a pension. Uh-uh. Like, no, nah, they're like, Ooh, no, you they have you. They own you because that's the only way you could have Until that Until they get their return on their investment. And I'm, I'm like, dude, that's – I'm for me anyway, I'm like – we're seeing the exact same thing here from these corporations. There's a, there's a plan here. There's a plan. Oh, it would be interesting, really interesting to follow this story and see where it goes. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right. So uh, looking at some of the uh, stories coming through here this morning, we've got this interesting mm-hmm. one. I've got a couple of interesting stories coming out of the, out of the UK. Um, the BBC has recently su- suggested creating age-appropriate pornography. Oh, it's... Okay, so this was uh, from a feminist women's program called Women's Hour. (laughs) Lawson is just shaking his head over here. Uh, And the idea behind it is to teach respect and consent. Yeah, like... And and they asked the question, what's the best way to inform teenagers about pornography? Uh, Lawson, you've been a teenager. You've been a non-Christian teenager. Did you need to have... Teachers inform you about pornography. Yeah, I wish they had told me that it was bad. Like, you know, I, I was like a secular kid yeah. with secular friends. Like, like I'll, I'll say it. Like, man, my friend, he was 10. I was 8. Come over to my house. That's Got on the computer. He's like, oh, you lost him. Look at this. Like, that is literally, like, my first exposure. Yep. And again, we, you know, for both of us, he was actually a Jehovah's Witness, like, from a Jehovah's Witness family that was, like, pretty legit. Yep. Uh, but for me, I'm I'm just, like, some secular kid. Um, so the exposure was so low. But in terms of, dude, I I really loved and appreciated that at my school, at least, like, we had sex ed. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and, and it was, like, when I was in year six. Like, they got us together and they told us what the deal is. But, uh, but it's, like, why, how does, like, child-appropriate pornography solve that problem? problem like like yeah well this is the thing do we need to inform teenagers i mean as you say long before you were a teenager you'd been exposed to pornography we don't need to inform teenagers about 
pornography, we need to inform kids, children about, you know, Legos. Yeah, this is yeah, this is the reality. Is that so? Because what you're doing here is a basically like you're you're trying you're, you're you're trying to solve a problem by making the problem worse, essentially. Exactly. Let me give you a couple of stats, and then we'll uh, talk about this in more detail. In one year, that's in 2019. I don't have any stats more recent than that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, one single porn site, just one received or oh, uh, uploaded or oh, no had consumed from it 665,000 years worth of pornography was cons- consumed that year on one site alone okay so that is more than 100 times the age of our world and that took place over 42 trillion site visits Dude, and that would have gone up exponentially during covid. Absolutely. And that, so that was in 2019, right? Mm-hmm. So this these are old stats. Now the latest research indicates that 22% of pornography is consumed by under 10-year-olds. That's that's wild. And yet, along with that, 75% of parents still somehow think that their children are not looking at pornography. And, and, and I meet parents like this all the time. You, you, you hit them with the research, you hit them with the stats, and of course your kids are looking at pornography. Yeah. That's the simple reality of the world. And that what are you thinking? And they're like, no, 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 not our kids. No, 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 yeah. not, 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 no. I think it's because, like, you know, you can, Wake up. You can project your, your morality into that situation. And, and, but it's, I've, had, I've had secular parents tell me, no, my teenagers don't look at pornography. Yeah, but the point is, is that, like, this isn't a case of whether the children are moral or not. Like, this is the point, is that, no, my kid's too good for that. Like, my kid's good. Like, why would he be? It's got nothing to do with good no, or bad. Right. It's curiosity Absolutely. and exposure. It's, it's being a kid. Yeah. Like, I remember what it was like being a teenager. We didn't have internet porn when I, when I was a teenager. It used to float around the school in dirty magazines. Yeah. And dude. it wasn't like, it wasn't like, you know, I was a Christian teenager for sure. Didn't stop me from looking at it. Yeah. Because you just don't know. That's it. And this is what we should mean. We should be enabling pornography use by creating child safe no. pornography. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? When I was in Iran, I go to Iran, right? Yeah. Uh, I go to log on to Facebook. No Facebook. Go to log on to Instagram. No Instagram. You yeah. Know, it's, it's just blocked in that country. Like, okay, fair enough. That's all right. I can live without this for a week or so. That's mm-hmm. not the end of the world. Uh, now, if you can block Facebook, if you can block Instagram, if you can block sites for a country, we might not be able to eradicate pornography, but we can make it hard yeah. rather than making it just open slather, free for anybody, no restrictions, no blocks whatsoever it's- at all. We can at least, we can at least have, make some legislation to make. Why are we so powerless as a country to do anything mm. about the problem of pornography? But this is the thing is like that it's so highly used. It's almost like the ball's rolling too fast. Like, that's how it feels. Like, I'm like... Well, the problem is that the legislators have no motivation yeah, to get rid that's of pornography right. because they are motivated to keep pornography. Yeah. And I think ultimately it puts a response... To, well, someone should have been responsible, but now it kind of leaves a responsibility on... Now, like, you've got the BBC calling for us to actually make children's pornography. That's just grooming. Because that's yes. the sexualization of children. That's the intentional, uh-huh. intentional sexualization uh-huh. of children. I mean, I don't know whether... Um, it still exists, but back in the day, they used to have, you know, you had to click on I'm 18 years older at least to access something like that. Mm. Um, and 
but to actually create something that is for children where you don't even click a button or anything like that, that Yikes. is the intentional grooming and sexualization of children and exploitation of children. Mm-hmm. And I want to know why it is that we're so powerless to do anything about it. Well, anyway. I can't believe you brought this up. I'm so mad now. All right. I'm so Good. I, that's this why I brought it up. It's terrible. I, 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 got terrible. Another, I got another story about a trip. Uh, this is a better story. So this one's got a oh, okay. Test. Okay. Uh, okay. So a street preacher has just um, oh, okay. been released in the UK. So uh, this particular no, she she went to jail. She was arrested and charged. She was accused of making homophobic and racist statements, and calling for non-believers to be stabbed. Was, was she saying that? Okay, her name is Hazel Lewis. She was charged with um, all of these things, including uh, creating harassment, alarm and distress, and for making a child cry. Mm-hmm. Now, she was arrested with this and she was charged with this. The only problem was she recorded the whole thing. Wow. And when they played the recording in court, what you find is that there is a member of the public who was persistently goading her to make homophobic statements and she was persistently uh, sidestepping and ignoring and not going there with those statements and absolutely refusing to engage with this particular individual all the way through until she finally says, quote, you are an advocate of Satan and... uh, uh, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Oh wow! Right, that was the worst thing that she said in the uh, in the whole experience. Uh, the police turned up, but the police were called, and uh, there was three witnesses who said, "Ah, oh, she was calling people to be stabbed. She was doing this, doing that, doing the other." They arrested her and charged her purely on hearsay, purely on a he said she said situation. Wow. Mm. And, of course, when it came before the court, the uh, district judge, Julian Newton, said there's no case to answer, threw it out of court, should never have gone to court. Uh, She said the words were disagreed with and the words were unpleasant, but they were not harassment or harm or distress. And, yes, you could hear a child crying in the background, but children cry for a multitude of different (laughs) reasons. There was no evidence whatsoever at all that the child was crying because of what she was saying. But needless to say, she got punished by the system because this is what can often happen when you are still, when you are innocent and found innocent, you still get punished by the system Mm. because you got 18 month court battle and a whole bunch of uh, court costs and legal costs, etc. And so she is now suing the uh, the Metropolitan Police for wrongful arrest, uh, for Good. being charged on hearsay, and for wasting public money and time, which will probably be upheld. But in the UK, street preaching has a long history, a very long history, going mm. back hundreds of years, with very, very strong legal pre- precedents and protections. Yeah, wow. But they are increasingly being harassed. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, joining us on the phone this morning is Letitia Marino. Letitia, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to this. Okay, Letitia, we had your dad on the show earlier in the week and uh, telling his story about coming out from uh, Chile and coming to Australia. Uh, a fascinating story. He spent time in jail as a political prisoner uh, during mm-hmm. the Pinochet era uh, and then, you know, uh, 
finds the Lord. And, you know, it was interesting when we got to that part of the story where, you know, he wanted to share his testimony of how he came to God. We we couldn't shut him up. He just had so much to say. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like dad. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He nearly, he, nearly, he, nearly, he nearly went right into the news. It was just like, I'm just going to share everything that Jesus has done for me. So it was fantastic. But... <laughs> Your dad's story is only part of the story because we heard how your dad, you know, grew up in Chile, was you know involved in politics, uh, mm. spent some time, spent three years in jail, uh, came to Australia. But there's a whole other aspect of this story because your dad has a family, mm. you're part of that family, and you have a story to tell. Letitia, were you born in uh, Chile or in Australia? I was born in Australia, really quite local, actually, in Newcastle. There you go. So you haven't, uh, well, at the moment you're not too far from home because you're up in Singleton now. Um, obviously, mm. you've, you've been to some different parts of Australia since then and lived and worked. Um, yeah. When you were born, when you were, when you were a child, was this before or after your parents had given their lives to, you know, make fully, you know, because your dad explained he, he grew up nominally Nominally uh, Roman Catholic, but it was very nominal. Um, sure. Mm. But where, where do you come into the picture? Yeah, okay, great question. So I um, went to church um, as a child with my mum and brother, but we went to um, a church called the Assemblies of God. And so we would go to church on a Sunday, just the three of us, while Dad would go and play soccer. So he did his sports thing while we, the three of us, went to church um, on our own. So that's kind of how it was at home. Uh, we, Mum was responsible for our faith journey and talking about God. Um, Dad was really great dad, very kind and loving, but would never talk about anything to do with God. Right. Now, so you guys are going to, to the AEOG, but at some particular point, your dad uh, has has a workmate who's uh, reading The Great Controversy, the uh, El, El Gran Conflicto, and yes. uh, as a result of that, he gets a copy of this book and starts reading it himself. When this happens, how old would you, you have, and of course there was your brother as well, but how old were, were you guys? Yeah, I was actually um, 10 and a half roughly at the time for so 10, 10 and a half when he started to read this book and and everything started to change, you know, becoming vegetarian, kind of, um, you know, uh, discovering all these new things. And, yeah, I was I was only just a kid. With uh, What was your mum's response when your dad started taking an interest in spiritual things? Oh, look, on the one hand, she she was happy that he was, you know, wanting to learn about God and wanting to discover faith and and and, and that whole journey. However, um, the the closer he sort of got to or once he like discovered, oh, this everything I'm learning about, um, you know, and when we went to an Adventist church, because we, we did go to an Adventist church not long after he started to sort of read the great controversy, he started to read the Bible, um, and we got invited to a special program at an Adventist church, but it was a Spanish-speaking Adventist church, and um, and my mum wasn't totally sure about Adventism. She was she wanted my dad and, and us as a family just to all go to the same church, 
but she was happy to sort of support um, where he was initially. Okay, so you're a ten and a half year old. What's it like for you um, as as a as a, a young girl? You've got um, your parents are sort of on two different spiritual journeys. I mean, your dad wasn't on any spiritual journey, and then and then suddenly he is. But it's a different it's a different journey than what your mum is on. What was going through your head? What was your experience like during that time? Yeah. Um, well, for me, I it was a little bit of a grieving process because I had really loved um, the AOG church and I was used to the pastor there. I went to Sunday classes there. I knew um, all the all the people there and I was just, I'd grown up in the church. So um, everyone kind of saw me as, yeah, just the little girl that they doted on and I was just as part of a family. And to leave that church, it kind of felt like leaving my family um, to go into this, explore this new this new church. I mean, I was still open because I would follow whatever my parents wanted to do, but it still felt a little bit like a grieving process to leave behind something that I really loved. Now, what about your brother? Is your brother older or younger, younger than you? And, and, and how did he respond? Yeah, he was um, three years older than me um, and he had been coming to a point in his life where he was not sure about whether he wanted to keep coming to church and in fact he had sort of said, oh, I'm not sure if I want to keep going to church and my mum would say to my dad, well, tell him that he needs to go to church and my dad would say, you need to go to church and then my brother said, well, if church is good for me, then church is good for you too. A very good argument. Very, very valid <laughs> argument. <laughs> yeah, so my dad um, started to feel a little bit challenged with that and that was obviously prior to him um, really going into the great controversy and starting to read the Bible. So that was that was just a little bit beforehand, but, yeah, um, once dad started to come or once we went to the Adverse Church, my brother was still a little bit like, well, probably a bit tentative and just sort of following where my parents were going. Sure, sure. Okay, coming back to you for a second then, um, at some particular point, well, is there a particular point, I should say, where you uh, intentionally gave your life to Jesus Christ or was this something that, you know, was a relationship with Jesus something that you'd always had having grown up, you know, with a Christian mum and going to church? Yeah, um, I, look, I would say it, it's both because um, growing up, I always saw my mum pray. Always, My mum always intentionally invested in our faith and she was the first person to, to show me what a relationship with God looked like. And so I, I did love, um, love what I was learning and loved my experience with God. But certainly once we started to... Um, get more grounded into the church. Like I said, after that first program that we went to, um, there was a student pastor there who said um, basically at the end of the program, is there anyone here who would like to study the Bible because we are having Bible studies in this person's home and I'd love to open that up to anyone. And so my parents started to to go to that and um, because my dad said, I want to learn more. And my mum thought, well, he learns about God and once he discovers God, I'll take him to my church. And so there was that part. And at the same time as kids, my brother and I 
started to get Bible studies with the youth leader at the same time that my parents were studying with the student pastor. Right, so you guys all sort of start doing uh, midweek, in-home Bible studies, small group kind of thing at around yes. about the same time as each other. That's fantastic. Yes, yes. and I and honestly, it was, it was really eye-opening to me because I was discovering things that I never knew about God before that. Like I had loved God, I had, you know, heard lots of things about him, but I was starting to hear about different things that I didn't know that were in the Bible. And I started to think, wow, this is really exciting. And so I, I started to look forward to um, every week when we'd be learning more and more about Jesus. Now, with the AOG church that you were going to before, was that an English church or was it a Spanish church? Did you move from like from an English-speaking church to a Spanish-speaking church? What was, what was that um, experience like? Yeah, it was actually Italian-Australian. So it was like there was a lot of Italian families, but they're all also um, English-speaking families. So it was classified as an international church, but it was mostly Italians and Australians there. Oh, wow. So did you learn to speak Italian while you were there as well? Uh, no, I just enjoyed the culture and then uh, and then transitioned to Spanish, which was nice because I'd grown up speaking Spanish at home, um, but this was the first, yeah, Spanish-speaking church I'd, I'd gone to. Yeah, wow, amazing. Now, at some particular point, uh, you decided that you were going to dedicate your life in service to God. How did that come yeah. about? Yeah, well, there's, there's a big sort of space between, you know, my coming into the church, getting Bible studies, and eventually being baptized and so forth. So I actually wanted to be baptized straight after receiving Bible studies at 10. And my parents said, hang on a minute, um, make sure that you're a little bit older really understand what you're committing to and then get baptized. So I kind of wandered in the church, like I was always there, always involved, but my relationship with God sort of in the teenage years was a little bit casual. Like I, I loved going to church, but during the week I just had other priorities and God was somewhere there, but not, not the top shelf priority. And, um, it wasn't until I was about 21 when I started to, um, we had a new pastor in the church who was really just preaching really fervently, um, I guess, about the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus and really making that a priority in everything that he was preaching. And so to me, that kind of just reawakened, I guess, yeah, uh, another love for God and going, wow this is a really personal message and somehow I had forgotten that, but now it's kind of come back to me as to why I'm here and why I believe in Jesus and why he believes in me and wants a relationship with me. So from that point, I started to serve God in so many different ways. I started to give Bible studies and I hadn't been taught how to give Bible studies. I started to preach and I just kind of volunteered and, and thought, I don't know how to preach a sermon, but I'm going to look up online how to structure a sermon. And I started to get involved in lots of different ways, running prayer groups, um, teaching, uh, getting involved in evangelism. And people started to say to me, Letitia, have you thought about studying and preparing for ministry? And I was like, whoa, um, 
okay, this is an interesting conversation. Um, and I kept hearing it in different places. And I, I knew I wanted to serve God, but I wasn't sure exactly how that looked like. So um, I kept hearing that message. And I just remember saying to my parents, look, I believe that God is calling me to full-time ministry, whether that's Bible work or missionary work or something. And I've been doing teaching because that's what I, that was my childhood dream. And I thought that was what I was meant to be doing. But I believe that God is calling me to share his word. And their response was, well, you've been studying teaching. Why don't you finish your degree, work for a few years, and then see if God is still calling you to do this. Yeah, wise words. Yeah, exactly. And so that's exactly what I did. I literally did that. I finished my degree. I worked for three years as, as a teacher. And during that time, I had more people say to me, have you thought about preparing for ministry? And in fact, at one point, I was I was there in my home church with my parents and a visiting um, student pastor had been preaching and he'd heard something, a few things that I had said in church. And at the end of the sermon, he said to me, um, you have a gift. And I turned around because I thought, is he speaking to me or is he speaking to somebody else? And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, you have a gift. Have you thought about um, preparing for ministry? And this was someone that I didn't know. I'd never seen. I'd never heard. And and then that kind of started a conversation. And like I said, more and more people started to say to me, have you thought about preparing to be a pastor and, and studying? So it just got to that point where um, throughout those years, I kept hearing it. By the time I'd, I'd done three years in teaching, I knew that something was really missing and that I was meant to be doing ministry. And so I finished those three years, came back to my parents. I said, I've asked, I've, I've done what you've asked. You said to me, you know, finish your degree, work for a few years, and then see if God is still calling you. I did exactly that. I've done what you've asked. And they said, well, we taught you to love God, so we can't tell you now not to serve him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Amen, and of course uh, we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to finish up, Letitia. But that's a wonderful story. But I just wanted to uh, mention that right now, of course, you're pastoring the uh, Singleton and Musselbrook churches, and that sort of cuts a, a longer story short. But uh, we're just super thankful to have you ministering in the local area. Thank, thank you for joining you us this morning. Much. Okay, thank you. All right. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1 800 Faith FM.